Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to your mostly weekly self-help AA podcast. I'm Cody, and this week we're bringing back another older episode. If you are unfamiliar, Rob and I had a past podcast that we ran, but eventually decided the direction we wanted to move towards was a little bit too different for our last show. So we started this podcast, but still felt there was a lot of good value in the older episodes, and we wanted to release them occasionally. So we've decided we're going to call them the archive episodes. They're going to be minimally edited, just to remove the old current events and whatnot, but otherwise will be published just as they were in the past. We're going to try and only use them when time constraints force us to publish an older episode like it did this week. So because they're going to be minimally edited, the audio quality will probably not be quite as good and our delivery will probably be about the same. Nevertheless, you know, we still feel these archive episodes contain a lot of relevant, a lot of interesting information, and we wanted to reshare them with y'all. So let's go ahead and get on into it. approach this episode is I did my own research um, and Rob did his own research and Rob ended up taking a more historical um, approach to the surveillance state and how it developed over time and I know a woman who has worked decades for the government for various three-letter organizations, and uh, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this properly. Um, She is a cybersecurity type person, and her job is to exploit and discover weaknesses in security systems. So take that information and paint yourself a picture of what she does. But um, I can't really say any more than that. Um, I would have loved, loved to have had her on here, but I talked to her and she said it was probably in her best interest to not do the show, which I understand. And I don't, I don't somebody that, yeah, I understand. So um, that being said, she wasn't able to give me a whole lot of information, but she was able to point me in the right direction of where to Google things and where to read between the lines. And so that's kind of the approach I took. So we're going to have Rob go first and kind of just dive really deep into the, the past history of the surveillance states of America. And then I'm going to kind of get a little conspiracy theory and 
whatnot at the end. So take Sounds it good. away, Rob. All right. So like you, like we said, we're going to start with a little bit of history. And what I hope to accomplish with this is to kind of give you uh, a mental timeline of where it kind of started and where the surveillance state took off. And I know, you know, most people are going to go directly to, you know, the the Patriot Act and, and 9-11. And, and you're absolutely right. But there's a little more to it than that. So uh, before 9-11 and all that, we're going back into the 70s and uh, the introduction of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, or FISA. Um, it was signed into law by President Carter on October 25th, 1978. And essentially what this was, it was it created a judicial and congressional oversight to government uh, covert surveillance. Um Particularly with on people, individuals in the United States, um, but partially on uh, you know protect national security. Uh, it was an ex, you know it resulted from extensive investigations um, by Senate committees into what we were doing in terms of domestic intelligence at the time. Um, so you know supposedly there were rumors of you know usage of federal resources, um, not you know limited to you know the law enforcement three letter agencies to spy on political and um, uh, particular activist groups. Um, So this was basically an attempt to establish some initial um, guidelines for this intelligence. Uh, Another thing that was created with this act was the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, or FISC. And essentially, um, it was a court established to oversee requests for surveillance warrants. for you know, federal law enforcement and other intelligence agencies, uh, primarily the FBI and NSA. Um, they at the time they were sus- they were suspecting you know foreign intelligence uh, agents inside of the United States. So they were trying to you know get uh, not really necessarily warrants, but access to um, certain intelligence to try to figure out who they were and, and try to you know try to stop them. Um, I don't remember. I had it written down and I forgot it. I believe it's a nine nine seat court. Um, they serve seven year terms and they're appointed by the uh, head justice of the Supreme Court. Um, so I didn't know that was a, a power of, of, of that, but so that was pretty interesting. Um, huh. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know when that came about too, because obviously that wasn't like in the founding fathers' ideas. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, right. I don't think you know, mass surveillance was ever really a, a thought they were have to con- uh, contend with. But no, um, at this point, it still wasn't like it wasn't like it is today. I mean, for for multiple reasons, one being you know the the methods and all the technology we have now, but. Um, it was more just like they kind of saw it coming and they made an attempt to, to slow it down. Um, in the end, it only ended up being an attempt, but we're going to get into that right now. So along comes, uh, you know, September 11th, uh, you know, the terrorist attacks. Uh, and not long after that, um, we uh, introduced the U.S. Patriot Act. Uh, I'm not going to spell that out because it's long. You can go look it up. Um, 
but it was, you know, rushed through Congress and, you know, it was signed just over a month, maybe a month and a half after the September 11th attacks. Um, so in this most simplistic way, it was basically um, a law that covered a broad range of issues, uh, most, mostly border security, um, detention of immigrants, funding for counterterrorism, and then obviously surveillance. Um, so Title II, which I believe is, um, if you look this up on your own and, and do some research, you'll find uh, Section 215, and that's kind of like one of the uh, the main parts of the Patriot Act that, that we have issues with, but I believe that's also what Title II is. Um, and what that did is it amended the, the FISA, which was the act, and expanded the scope of surveillance allowed under the law. So this is kind of like the first, I talked about getting out in front of it, well, now here's like it's the first really like, you know, counter to it. And, uh, you know, foreign intelligence can now be gathered from, you know, both not only just foreign, you know, foreigners, but also from Americans. And that was a really, really giant step. Um, the uh, counter the intelligence agency is no longer needed to prove that, um, you know, the tar a target was an agent of a foreign power. They just had to, you know, prove, well, not even really prove, uh, I guess, you know, what's the word for it? Assert um, that there were, you know, some minimum requirement that met, was met to, to get this uh, surveillance going. So, um, and then other, also to uh, change the maximum duration for surveillance and investigations, making them longer. So you could just deem somebody as a threat, so you need yeah. to survey them, and yep. then you got an extension from previous years uh, to to spy on this person who lives in this country. Yep, absolutely. Who and used to have rights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is where it starts going downhill really fast. So basically, any district judge in the United States could issue a surveillance order for terrorist investigations which i'm air quoting um, so and for those people who don't know like me how high or low is a district court judge like is that state level uh so when they're talking about this they're talking about the lowest level of the federal system so basically oh. you know you have your district courts your circuit courts your court of appeals and then ultimately your supreme court because um, we're talking about uh, like federal agencies, so they don't, you know. So they wouldn't need state authorization, right? So whether, they would but, need federal. Exactly. So whether you worked at the FBI office in shit, Langley, like, yeah, Langley or Denver, like you, you're you're still on the federal level, but there's different districts even at the federal level. So basically, they could go to anybody and get these uh, these orders and warrants, which just they no longer no longer had to go to the uh, foreign intelligence surveillance court. So basically, Which yeah. I did look up for you. It was founded in '78. Okay, yeah. With that act, right, right. So it, it kind of like opened up the uh, more paths to get all this stuff done. And a lot, what some of those things were were one was the sneak and peek warrants. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of that, but basically they allow, oh. yeah, yeah. We talked about this on the infringement of the fourth amendment, right? 
in back in the history and death of the uh, the Bill of Rights Part One. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, basically it allowed law enforcement to you know come onto your property, break in, complete a like thorough search of the premises, and then notify you afterwards that they had a warrant to search. Um, so that's where the kind of like the sneak and peek comes in. Um, another thing that was, uh, the roving wiretaps, uh, which basically was a method of removing, um, the need for a surveillance order. If someone were to throw away their phone or move to a new address, it basically relieves, uh, federal and law enforcement from having to, you know, get an order for that, uh, which is kind of ridiculous. And then, uh, it also expanded the scope of an investigation so that anyone who comes in casual contact with a suspected terrorist can be wiretapped. Um, so you, you bumped into someone they suspected on the street, they could wiretap you and, you know, start surveilling you essentially, which is just crazy. Um, it's insanity, dude. Yeah. It's, it's so backwards of yeah. how it was supposed to be, you know, like, a sneak peek warrant is kind of, in my mind, it it's like just circumventing an actual warrant so that you can obtain your probable cause to get a warrant. It's like, oh, well, we can't actually get him, but we know he's guilty. It's like those cop shows, those mm-hmm. really bad cop movies back in the 70s where it's like you got one cop that's like, hey – we don't have a warrant. And then the other cop kicks him the door and he's like, that's my warrant. <laughs> it's like, it's just like that. But with not, well, actually, no, it's just like that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Fun. Yeah. It's just like that. Except anyone can kick in the door. Like no one cares. But yeah. I mean, this is like, I'm not taking anything away from, you know, anybody who lost their life on nine 11. I mean, obviously I'm a firefighter, so I know quite a bit about it, but like, they really took advantage of the state of the nation at that point and the how bad we wanted revenge to uh, pass some nasty shit, man. Like the two, the two are are not correlated. The loss of life and what we're talking about. We're not talking about this because of loss of life. I mean, we are in a way. If it hadn't happened, it, we probably wouldn't be here. But Rob's exactly right. The situation the situation was taken advantage of from Absolutely. the entire justification of the war in Iraq later to the war in Afghanistan to the Patriot Act to some of the other things he's going to talk about to everything that I'm going to talk about later on. It was just taking, in the words of Hillary Clinton, never let a good tragedy go to waste. Yeah. No, they, they definitely took full advantage of that. That's a bash on Hillary, and it's a bash on the George Bush administration, because they're the ones who did it like to any Republicans. A lot of Republicans listen to this show for some reason. I don't know why you are not safe from bashing. Like I'm going to bash you. And now I'm bashing your party for doing this. Yeah. If, if you do bad things, I'm going to call you out. That almost wasn't. Yeah. It almost wasn't even a party thing though. Like at that point in time, pretty much everybody was like, you know, fuck this shit, let's, you know, let's get revenge. Like, it was a very emotional time for for the country, and, like I said, it gave them that slight crack in the door they needed to, to bust it in, you know. Yeah, 
And that was the first time you saw, like, up until that point, I will say from recent history before 2001, the Democratic Party was definitely the anti-war party. Mm -hmm. And then following 9-11, they're really, they were still kind of anti-war, but they were, like, not really anti-war. You know what I mean? They were more accepting of, and then the the people on the right were full-on war hawks, like, I remember in 2000, in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, shit, still today I hear people say it. You know, people talk about turning the entire Middle East, quote, into a sheet of glass, end quote. I'm like, that is, that is so wrong. You know, like, I, I can't even go down that rabbit hole. So I don't want to distract anymore, but. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you said that because I was definitely a big proponent of that, and there are still times where I think we should have just made it a hole in the ground. But anyway, um, a couple of last of uh, the little nasty things in that Patriot Act: um, the FBI can order any person to produce documents that um, to protect against terrorism or f- foreign spies without a court order. Um, so that's kind of. Kind of fucked up. And then the last thing was um, they can now conduct investigations on what they call lone wolves, um, which is basically any person that is suspected of engaging in terrorism-related activities, but they have no, like, concrete tie to any group or or cell. Um, That's how they're going to kick in my door one day. Yeah. That's that's what they're going to justify it with, even though it's not fucking true. And, like, it's not even true in the slightest. That's the worst part about this is not the worst. It's all the worst. But one of that's another bad thing about this is they can label anybody a terrorist. Like, for example, when Northam was pushing, we always talk about Virginia, but it's where we live. But for those of you who don't live here, the tension was palpable. You could have cut it with a rusty spoon. Like, it, when Northam went through with his gun control legislation last year, there was a big fear among gun rights activists that they would just be labeled domestic terrorists and that all this would apply to them. And this still applied like this still sits in the back of my mind today. Like, you know, excuse me, all it takes is a change of. Of legislation and they can they can deem you whatever they want. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't, like, for those who haven't noticed, you know, and just that, just the Patriot Act part of it, it's all about, like, how gray all that was made. You know, it's it's no longer, like, foreign. It's no longer, you know, proving you're a terrorist. It's basically they've changed it so that, like, if they see you as a threat, all they have to do is label you as a terrorist, and then they can pretty much do whatever the fuck they want. And then they'll find their proof later, and by yeah. fine, they'll, they'll, they'll trump it up. They'll find something to make up on you. Now, what did you mean? And you may have said it and I just missed it. Um, You were saying under the Patriot Act, the FBI can order a person to produce documents to protect against for like what sort of documents like proof of citizenship? Like they have access to that. So I'm kind of curious. Yeah. So, you know, um, it does talk about. like anything ranging from business records. So like, you know, like let's say you own a business, you know, where have you done your business? Have you taken any trips? You know, 
how many, who have you kind of like been, you know, doing business with to, um, <laughs> you know, any, basically any type of register. Uh, I'll try to look it up at some point and, and let you know, but it was basically anything that like could tie you to a terrorist cell. So see, that makes more sense to me now. Cause I hadn't thought about that. So basically yeah. they want to know if, um, I don't know if you're a small firearms manufacturer or you make fertilizer or something like that. Hey, why are you shipping all this uh, fertilizer to this random country in the Middle East or Africa? You know? Yeah, I think it had, yeah, I think it had a lot to do with like who you were dealing with and like um, like who your associations were. Um, so that's why like um, you know, if you go for any like. And like polygraphs and shit for any of the you know word jumble agencies, like it, it's always a question of like, like have you associated with a any foreign uh, dignitary in the last whatever like without your knowledge or with or without your knowledge, like it's basically just stuff like that. They want to see if you've like you know come in contact or dealt whether incidentally or not with you know any any you foreign know, dignitary. N- not to get too off topic, man, but. Anytime I hear polygraphs mentioned, I laugh because prior to me becoming a libertarian, I had to take a polygraph for a uh, top secret clearance. And I passed. No problem. First try. No issues. Once I became a libertarian, I have never passed a polygraph again. (laughs) Like, I have not passed one since. And I've taken Mm -hmm. four. Yeah, four total. I had three and then a retake, and the the retake I couldn't pass either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, I, I it was all on three, drugs. So. <laughs> it was all on drugs because I get so riled up about it. They're like asking all these questions, and I'm like, in my mind, I just want to like choke slam someone and be like, "This isn't even a crime. Like, why are you asking me this? Like, hey, do you smoke cigarettes?" Well, that's personal. Well, fuck you. So is this. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. anyway, yeah. that could be digress. a whole other episode topic. But <laughs> yeah, yeah so, how to prepare and fail a polygraph. Exactly. <laughs> so fast forward to 2014, 2015. Um, so a lot of the stuff we just talked about, the, the most controversial parts of the Patriot Act were set to expire. Um, and that was in 2015. I can't remember what part of the year, but we'll just go 2015. Um, so the day before they expired, Congress passed another long acronym that basically was the U S freedom act and, or the USA freedom act. Sorry. And what that did was it renewed almost all of the expiring provisions, uh, through 2019. Um, some of them, uh, had a little more limits, especially concerning like uh, bulk data and uh, telecommunications data, uh, specifically on U.S. citizens, and that was attributed to the uh, Edward Snowden's um, you know disclosures of basically what was bulk surveillance by the NSA on U.S. citizens, um, which you know had a lot of public backlash. I think I think we're gonna hit that uh, earlier. Or, I'm sorry, later, but, um, yeah, we'll get more yeah, into that. Yeah, I, I talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I won't go too much into that, but, um, yeah, so, and the Act also reauthorized the roving wiretaps 
and the lone wolf terrorists, which I talked about earlier. Uh, and finally, while like the leg- while legislators were in support of the act, um, they argued that the you know they would try to rein in the power um, that was given under the Patriot Act. Uh, a lot of critics, uh, especially you know privacy advocates, which really everyone you know should be. Uh, will argue that it did little to change the overall surveillance situation. And, you know, that was back in 2015. Here we are, fast forward to the end of 2020, and it's pretty safe to say it really hasn't changed anything. So those, you know, quote-unquote limits that were put in place um, did little, uh, more or nothing to to help the situation. Uh, So where are we now? Uh, Basically, a lot of this stuff was up for expiration again. Uh, they were due to expire on December 15th of 2019, but obviously COVID hit and all the congressional attention was, you know, diverted. So they lapsed, they temporarily lapsed, lapsed on in May. And, uh, you know, both the lone wolf and the roving wiretaps were, were up. Uh, but they were ex- basically were expected to be renewed by Congress until 2023. However, Trump withdrew his support and basically told him that he would veto it over concerns of, you know, basically these intelligence agencies having too much freedom to investigate political campaigns. Um, so did it help yet? Was it for the wrong purpose? Uh, yeah. But, Not that we've ever had that yeah, issue before. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so basically the House representatives withdrew the bill and they're expected to propose a new one at some point. Um, have no idea when, because uh, COVID kind of messed everything up. But basically, um, they are proposing a couple of amendments to it, uh, two of which passed um, one chamber in Congress. Uh, none have been written into law yet. Uh, the first being uh, the bill now requires the FISA courts to allow a privacy watchdog um, to participate in some of the surveillance deliberations. So basically that, that uh, FISA act and the, and the court was basically as, you know, locked tight as you could possibly be. The only thing that ever got released was the, like the docket number and the date of the vote and whether, what the vote was. Other than that, all the information was, you know, was kept a secret. So now they were trying to introduce, you know, a little bit more, you know, information to, to be passed along so it wasn't just like everything was kept in the dark um again that went back to you know the 2016 trump campaign and, and whether or not it had you know something to do with that uh that one was passed with bipartisan support uh the second amendment uh stipulated that the fbi may not seek fisa authorized orders um to obtain call detail records on basically anything that will that should have required a warrant so cellular or GPS location information, stuff like that. Uh, they now had to go back and get, you know, correct warrants for, uh, it also required the department of justice to, uh, receive any information that might be, that raised doubts about FISA surveillance, um, applications. And, uh, it broadened the criteria for when those decisions can be made. And basically, um, the, after 180 days, the record, the courts are required to declassify that information. Uh, so a lot had to do with, you know, mm. getting more of the information out there. And the one that failed uh, was basically would have excluded web browsing histories and search queries. And this goes back to that Section 
talking about, which basically gave the FBI authority to obtain like any tangible thing without a warrant. So, you know, any inf- information about someone you could possibly want, they basically didn't need a warrant. They would just go in and get it. Um, so they tried to protect a lot of more sensitive personal data and, you know, shockingly it failed. Uh, it, it, it failed to pass the Senate despite a majority of 59 votes in favor. Um, four senators apparently missed the vote due to COVID circumstances. So how is that possible? How does it, which part how does it not pass with 59 votes in favor? It needed 60. Uh, yeah. two thirds. Yeah. No, two thirds, right? Something like that. Yeah, it needs, I think it's, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not a civics expert. It's 60 something. Right. Like, yeah. It, it's it didn't not meet majority. the majority. Yeah. Um, I think it was basically it, the majority of the votes were in favor, but there weren't enough votes um, to have like quorum or something. Yeah. It, well, there weren't enough votes to get it to reach that, that number. Um, because like I said, I uh, four senators missed the vote due to COVID, and, and I'm sure a bunch more missed it due to other reasons, but. Um, that one is really lack of interest. Yeah. That was really a shame too. Cause you know, uh, you can make the joke, you can make the joke about web browsing histories and all that, but like search, <laughs> queries, search queries in particular, like basically anything you do on your computer, your phone, your tablet, like all of that is being, you know, monitored and Oh, that, for sure. Yeah. That, that amendment would have gone a long way to like kind of taking some of the power back from that that section 215 and the, and the Patriot Act. But so that's where we stand now. Again, none of those have been uh, passed into law yet. Um, you know, it's, uh, it could be a while because they're, they're supposed to be renewed until 2023. So we'll, uh, we'll have to see, wait and see what happens on that. And a lot of this stuff, man, you're saying, you're saying this stuff and I'm like, oh, this ties directly into what I'm going to say later. Like, I'm so excited. Yeah. So Um, my goal is to be, when you get to your part to kind of like help tie some of this back in. Your Um, next section is like a perfect like prism. I know you're going to talk about prism and X key score and all that. And like, that is my, like, that's kind of what I'm getting into too. Yeah. So I don't mean, I don't know how you want to do it. If you want me to just finish these last points up or if you want to take, you know, start going over them, but no, man, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So, so now that's basically the history. Um, it's not everything. It's not all inclusive. You know, we only have so much time during the day to research this stuff. And honestly, there's only so much information you can find. Um, but I'm going to switch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to switch over in a transition to, to David's part, but basically how this was being done. And, it's, been, it's kind of a couple of, I guess, keywords you, you can say. Um, so we'll just get right into it. So main way, uh, this was one of the, the first programs that was really, you know, brought out into the open. Um, this was long before Snowden, you know, made, you know, made off with his leaks and everything. Uh, but basically it was reported by NBC in 2006. Um, and it basically proved the existence of the NSA having built their own taps that were directly embedded to like the major telecommunications network, um, you know, like Verizon, AT&T, uh, those ha- are still and have been the, the biggest ones, but basically it was a method of gathering all phone confirmation and all content 
Um, and this was, like I said, this is with the express knowledge of those providers. So Verizon AT&T knew that they were doing that and didn't say a word. Uh, Prism is another one, uh, another one of the first ones. Um, this was after it was revealed that Verizon was willingly handing over call records to U.S. and uh, U.K. governments. Uh, it basically, it also they were working with major internet providers uh, like Yahoo and at the time AOL and Google and Facebook. Basically, whenever the NSA put in a formal request, these companies were giving over that information really without question. Um, it's estimated that over 250,000 individual personal internet history records were revealed during the height of the program's implementation. Okay, so I have to interrupt. I, I, I don't, I hate to because you're on a roll, nah, man, but go. that lady I was talking about, I texted her. <laughs> and I was like, I gotta know, like, I have to know, like, you've been places and you've seen and done things, like, and I texted her and I was talking to her about keystroke tracking and, you know, all of this and whatnot. And she said, yeah, it's called a break and inspect. And I was like, what is that? And she's like, they break the encryption and inspect the content. And I was like, without a warrant? And she goes, yeah, because the law changed after 9-11. Like, they do that all the time. Yeah. Like, that's, it's like, wait, no, that's that's not okay. Like, you can't just do that to people. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you're starting to see the kind of like transition from the history to to now, and it's like as they got the ability to do so, they were they were on it, man, and there was nothing holding them back because, you know, because she just told me she was like they used the fear uh, to expand their activities and spy on U.S. citizens. Yeah, the fear being the fear caused from 9/11. God, I wish I could have gotten this lady on. Yeah, that would been pretty awesome. I'm going to work on it. Maybe when, like, she retires one day on episode 5,326, we'll have her on. Yeah. But anyway, keep going. I'm sorry. You were talking about PRISM and uh, how the NSA essentially had their direct tap into, like, all the major phone companies and email services and search engines, all that stuff. Yep. Yeah, that pretty much covered that. So uh, another great transition. So... This is where it starts to get really fucked up. Uh, it was basically an NSA um, program called Muscular. And uh, basically what it did was whenever a company like Microsoft or Google or I don't think so much of the telephone companies, cause I think they were pretty much you know willing to do it. But those are the two main ones. If they didn't feel like handing over information through these FISA, the, you know, the court requests, the NSA basically found – a way around it and just put uh, wiretaps on each end of the uh, data servers and we're basically just like mining all that data. So they were basically, it goes back to what you said, like kind of like a break and inspect. They were basically like collecting the data off their servers and like going through it, trying to, to just, you know, inspect it all and then just going on like, you know, no one ever would know. So even if they weren't accepting these formal requests, they were going behind it and doing, getting it anyway. Um, just, just crazy. So still moving on X key score, um, which has basically been described as the NSA's own internal Google. And basically what they could do is they could type in a country, a name, a number, a, you know, a date of birth, a social security, number, anything you could possibly need to know. You could type it into this like database and it would 
give you all the data associated with that in like an easy to read, you know, summary essentially. And this was like, this was the tool that helped agents make sense of like, you know, all the noise around a certain individual. And, uh, you know, according to Snowden, this is what they use to spy on anyone, anywhere at any time. So kind of freaky. <laughs> um, a tad bit. Yeah. Uh, still going. So we got mystic. Um, this is kind of where it starts to differentiate between the different technologies. Uh, this was a, a massive voice interpretation network designed to break audio recordings on phone calls. Um, basically it, it had the ability to handle every call made in the United States and collect data and store it for up to 30 days at a time. Uh, Wait. Another, what? Yeah. It was, it was massive enough to handle every call made in the United States and record the data for up to 30 days. All right. I'm going to touch on this later. I'll, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. So that's, I mean, there was some information that Snowden gave out about that, how they were monitoring five entire countries for all calls coming in or going out. Um, but yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, another one was optic nerve, which is, uh, the webcam activation program um, that basically collected webcam images from over 1.8 million Yahoo users during its run. It was basically running complex face detection, facial detection software on hundreds of thousands of people at one time. I'm sure it was just facial detection. There was yeah. no only fans abuse or anything like that. Yeah. And uh, also, it was apparently responsible for one of like the one of the more, you know, worst violations of privacy when they discovered that agents had been secretly making recordings of uh, male and female users to pass around at the office. So. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, I'm not even surprised. Yeah. I'm yep. not, man. No, it's, it's pretty fucked up, man. And finally we have bull run. Um, <laughs> wow. Which was basically, uh, a $250 million per year program that was designed to use brute force through some of the most complex encryption algorithms in basically modern day. Um, I guess it made its big breakthrough in 2010 when it opened up like huge data, stream that, data streams that had been previously closed off by encryptions. Um, so that was basically like their last result. You know, needing the information really bad, they ran this thing and $250 million per year. That's insane. Now, if we were to do a crowdfunded government model, how many millions of dollars do you think that program would get? Yeah, zero. <laughs> <laughs> there would probably be some person, like the the old the older guy on my shift, you know who I'm yeah. talking about. He'd be oh, like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'll contribute 10 bucks. So they would get 10 bucks. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> so. so those are just some of the the, the, you know, programs, the methods they were using. I'm sure it's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, we'll probably never know a lot of the other stuff, but basically any type of communication, man, they, they had it monitored, you know, voice, webcams, all of it. We need so, another Snowden to come along is what yeah, we need. We, yeah, we do. But so that, that kind of takes care of the, the history and, you know, the methods. And I, I hope that the methods is going to help everyone, you know, really blow their mind once you start getting into um to your part but 
So I'll ask you, uh, I do have some more data figures um, just to throw in when it's convenient, but I'm going to let you uh, take over and uh, finish this thing off. All right. Yeah. So, man, I don't even know where to start, but (laughs) I mean, so despite what you may believe or what certain political parties may believe, no part of the government truly wants us to have what I believe is freedom. Um, Left-wing or right-wing victories will be more beneficial to those people than allowing us true freedom. And the technology we have that they sold us and we paid for is being used against the idea of what I and most people believe is freedom. And Rob touched in a lot about this, but phone calls, text, internet searches, GPS positions on your phone, the pictures you take, the Snapchats you send, what you like on Facebook, what you post, all that stuff is being used against you, even when you're in airplane mode. The CIA, the FBI, the NSA, they're all taking your info without your knowledge, and they're profiling you, and they're spying on you. They have laws and restrictions that they quote-unquote must abide by, but besides the court you mentioned, there's really no one to enforce them, and it's kind of an internal ordeal. So when you have all this power and you have no checks and balances, what do you do with it? You abuse the fuck out of it. (laughs) That's what everyone, that's what everyone does. So Rob touched on it a little bit and I was debating on talking about this in the current events, but I decided to save it. So if you haven't heard, there was a plot that was foiled, um, to kidnap Governor Whitmer of Michigan and Northam of Virginia. Um, Really biting my tongue here. (laughs) But (laughs) anyway, they were caught. And although I despise Northam, I don't advocate kidnapping anybody. That's wrong. You know, they already do that to us. So Mm. um, more on that on a later date. But excuse me. Sorry, that cold. How are they caught? So they were caught by algorithms and artificial intelligence searching keywords over social media. That's how they were caught. They weren't caught because they ran their mouth in public. They were private messaging each, private messaging each other and a artificial intelligence algorithm caught them and this just goes to prove the state will protect the state regardless of tyranny so with michigan you have her shutting down all of the um well businesses churches just basically the stay-at-home stuff which you can argue is fairly tyrannical and then with northam doing the same thing saying you must wear a mask even though i don't um but another time. So everything they're doing can be viewed as overstepping the boundaries of what they are meant to do. And so regardless of tyranny, regardless of who is right or wrong, they are watching you and the state will protect the state. (laughs) 
Um, so, no, you're good. So, phone information storage is one way they do this. This goes back to Snowden and what Rob talked about with prison. Prism, not prison. So, like he said, Verizon, AT&T, all the major telecommunications companies um, were to hand over their data on a, quote, ongoing daily basis, end quote. All phone carriers were revealed to be doing this. All of them. If you have a cell phone, they were doing it. The NSA directly tapped into Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and Yahoo. And they were just collecting massive amounts of information on people. And nobody had any idea until Snowden blew the whistle on them. And a lot of people have a very strong opinion on Snowden. And the woman who I talked to um, kind of had a mixed feeling. Because I asked her, I said, how do you feel about Snowden? And she said, well, what he did really showed our enemies our capability. Like, what we're truly capable of doing. But he also showed the American people, like, they are fucking watching you. Like... Big Brother is no longer just some conspiracy thing. It's it's real. Like, they're doing it. Every time, you know, uh, you're sending an email through one of these companies or a text message or a phone call or a voicemail or just doing uh, internet searches, they are watching you. And so looking back in my life, I'm like, man, there's no way that they I didn't ping some of these people. Like... Just the things I've searched how to do, like, yeah. <laughs> at, a, at a pure curiosity, I know I ended up on a list. So, and we kind of talked about X-Keyscore already. Uh, it's like their own personal personal Google. Um, the thing was, like we said, there was no warrant, no checks or balances. Um, think about it as, like, the NSA's own version of their black bag team like oh we don't like them throw a bag over their head take them away like that's the kind of information they would get and then there was a program called dishfire and dishfire collected text messages all around the world without any warrant subpoena or paperwork so something that came up was this court case called smith versus maryland and I'm not going to get too deep into it, but I am going to paint you a very broad picture. So this dude robbed a lady, and then he kept harassing her and calling her about being on Hunter Street and whatnot. Well, the lady ran out and got the license plate. The police got the address off of the license plate and then pulled the phone records without a warrant. Well, Mr. Smith, the dude that robbed her, um, tried to say that was a invasion of his Fourth Amendment right. And the court ruled that no warrant was required because what you do on your phone does not belong to you. It belongs to the phone company. So everything you do is not – that's not your information. Once you give it up to the phone company, it's their information, and they can do with it what they want. And we see that with Facebook too. Um, have you ever searched like uh, – you know, oh, cute homemade mason jar lamp or whatever. I'm 
just looking around my house right now. And then you get on Facebook or something and you're scrolling and it's like an advertisement for what you were just looking. It's not a fucking coincidence. Like they are all linked. And if you think the government doesn't have their entire left and right arm in the same pot, you're out, you're off your rocker. So real quick, I'm going to jump in with something about Facebook. Um, Go ahead. So there was the Cambridge Analytica um, breach, and basically it was a, a huge data scandal scandal in 2018. And what it was was that they came up with this app that was a, basically like a giant quiz that you could take, and it was uh, – I forget what the app was supposed to do. Um, it was basically supposed to have people like what you lo- interest were and kind of like group you with other people. Well, so – the several hundred thousand people took this quiz. I think it was like 200,000. But the quiz ended up like using their information to get to their friends and their friends' friends and basically got information on 87 million people. And Facebook is, is basically how they got through this. But some of the stuff that they, were, they say they were able to like predict in terms of traits and stuff, they have like uh, your – whether you're introverted or extroverted, you have life satisfaction, IQ, gender, age, you know, any political view from conservative, liberal, uninvolved to libertarian, your religion, your job in a certain category, uh, university concentration, uh, self-monitoring, all your interests, was, which was basically broken down into five factors. Um, interesting, one of those, interestingly, one of those factors was militarism, and which was guns and shooting, martial arts, crossbows, and knives. And uh, <laughs> even your belief in the star signs. So that like it's just a crazy amount of information that you know you basically if you put out there, you know they're gonna find it and they're gonna use it. But I just thought that was interesting with the you mentioned Facebook, but yeah, and that ties into what I was just about to say. Like, so we already established they're watching. Now the question is, what are they keeping? And for those of you who don't know, each phone has a, spe- a specific ID forever connected to it. Same with your phone number, Wi-Fi connection, all that stuff. And it's an IMEI and an IMSI. And what that stands for is International Mobile Sus- Subscriber Identity and then international mobile station equipment identity. And what that means is in IMEI, the equipment identity is linked to your phone. So even if I pulled out my SIM card and still had my phone, it will always have that IMEI on it. Likewise, the IMSI will forever be linked to my SIM card or the phone number that is using that uh, device. So what does that mean? Or what are they doing with this information? Snowden blew the lid off this, and AT&T has been storing logs on phone calls since 2008, and still is. They have a record of every phone call that ever went through an AT&T network for the last 12 years. So they know who called, who you called, what the closest tower was, which I'll get into in a second. 
how long the call was, how many times you've called, all this information. So why does it matter what towers you're closest to? That gives them your location. So even when your phone is dormant, like mine is right next to me, it's constantly sending out a signal to be received by the closest tower with the strongest signal. So they can see that. And when they see that, they can say, okay, well, he's in this area somewhere. And then just keeping this going uh, with my example, I make it even easier for them. I'm connected to my Wi-Fi right now. So they know exactly where my IP address is all going to. It's going right to my address. Um, so they can monitor not only your activity on the internet, but they can monitor your physical, they can pattern you physically based on the location of where you are because everyone takes their phone with them. So they know, Hey, every, so on this day, this day, and this day, David goes to work. He's there for this long. He comes home. He occasionally stops somewhere in this area and then through use of other things like CCTV, ATM machines and whatnot, they can find out exactly where you're at. So there is no escaping this with a cell phone. There is none. Even in airplane mode, they can keep track on you because a lot of phones nowadays, even in airplane mode, your phone will connect to Wi-Fi. If you connect to Wi-Fi, your location is pinged by an IP address. So you're never safe. You look at the apps people download, man. Like apps are constantly, you download an app and it says, this app would like your permission for GPS location, photo and video access, microphone access, contact access. And most people just hit, okay, yeah, allow. And then even when the app's not running, like Snapchat, a lot of people now, you may not know this. You may know this. You can go into Snapchat and see the location of everyone on your friends list unless they are, quote, unquote, in ghost mode. Even if you're in ghost mode, Snapchat can see where you are. Your cell phone provider can see where you are. It doesn't hide you. And Snapchat has had various instances where photos and videos were proven to be saved, even though they were like the fire and forget kind of thing. Like, oh, here's a picture of my wiener like you'll never see it again <laughs> yeah, but you know they've stored all this stuff so the sad part thing the sad part about all this is it's not that hard like all this stuff you're talking about it's all it takes is a quick call to Verizon you get the IMEI number you fuck you can run literally right now you can go on your computer and run an IMEI lookup and find out where the phone's been you can find out the current ip address and that that's basically how law enforcement does it i've done it from multiple projects throughout my you know criminal justice minor i mean obviously they were like past cases so they weren't like we weren't actually looking people up but you can literally go and look all that up for free it's not hard and they get paid a lot well they get paid to do that this is ridiculous yeah so Phone manufacturers, the carriers, those people apparently too, and app designers now all have access to the information we allow, but we have no power to monitor what they do with that information. So they have all the power to monitor us, but we have no 
ability to see what they're doing or when they're doing it or what they're doing it for, what the reasoning is. So we get all these user agreements that essentially are 5,000 pages long. And it's like, hey, read this. And no one reads it. They just hit allow. And as soon as you hit that allow button, it's on like Donkey Kong, man. Like they've got you, you know, and it's just people don't understand. And the same thing goes with Alexa in Google Home. Recently, the Florida police used Alexa to solve a murder using recordings that weren't even they said somehow it triggered the the uh, what do they call that? The wake word, I think yeah, it's that, called. Yeah. Alexa or hey Google, like whatever causes them to wake up. But how many have you ever had an Alexa? Uh, my I have family which have them. Yeah, I haven't used them. But I've never had one myself. So I had an Alexa dot for a very short period of time, and one day I'm sitting in my living room at my old house, and it is literally like 10:30 at night. My wife is on the couch. I'm on the couch, and we're on our phones. Not a sound in the house. And all of a sudden we hear, "I'm sorry, I didn't catch that." And like I look at her, and she looks at me, and that motherfucker came right out of the wall. Like I unplugged that bitch and threw that thing in the trash instantly. I was like, "No, there's no way. Like, no fucking way." Anything could have been, like, misconstrued as, quote-unquote, Alexa. No, I didn't say your fucking name. Like, I didn't like that thing to begin with, but it was a gift. And, like, I felt bad. And I was like, whatever, maybe I'll try it. So every day I'd be like, Alexa, what's the weather? And that was the only thing I ever did with it. And then occasionally I'd play, like, thunderstorms, you know, when I went to sleep or something. But, yeah, I ripped that bitch right out of the wall like threw it away, never looked back. And this, when I read this, it like proved my, my own little conspiracy theory that like Alexa's always fucking listening. So Florida police used Alexa to solve a murder, uh, using the recording off of it. And Amazon still claims there's no continuous recording and it's only supposed to wake up to the wake word. But there's information that suggests that even Alexa in Google Home, Google Home? Yeah, Google Home are spying on you. But the reasoning is, well, the reasoning for them is if they hear you and, you know, your girlfriend or whatever talking about uh, a new television or something, when you get on Amazon next, because it's linked to your account, you'll see new televisions. So it's it's a marketing scheme for them. But we've already demonstrated and talked about how those companies are still giving that information to the government. So if you think they're only listening for, yeah, babe, we should get a new TV, you're out of your fucking mind. Like, Yeah, I know all three of the major, like, home products have gotten caught with like people listening to people having sex and talking about all sorts of private information and shit. Like it's listening to you every second of the day. And also one more thing on the IMI numbers. If you ever go out to buy a used phone and you want to know whether it's legit and not stolen, you can get the IMEI number off that phone and run it for free. And it'll let you know whether it's, you know, with 
not a hundred percent accuracy, but pretty accurate whether or not it's been stolen or and all that shit. So, huh? Interesting fact, but yeah. And also, I'm gonna apologize. I did not see the Cambridge Analytica thing you had on your notes. I totally didn't see that and and fucking said it way too early, but. No, that's fine. Sorry, so the last topic. thing I was going to talk about with Facebook was <laughs> what Rob was kind of talking about. Basically, Facebook harvested 50 million Facebook users to try and influence an election. And then that was in 18, 2018, I mean. Um, and then about a month later, they said, essentially in layman's terms, they said, oh, shit, 50 million? We meant 87 million. My bad. And... There was a website I found that basically links – it's somebody that's tracking all of Facebook's activity huh. as a company, and it it's years of documentation, dude. Like, mm. I, I was reading through it. In fact, I'll find it. I'll try to find it and put it in the show notes. If it's not in the show notes, it's because I couldn't find it. But – there is years of documentation about how Facebook has been spying on people and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. So, and one last thing I wanted to talk about with the Snowden incident is I talked to that lady again. Uh, this was a while ago, but she told me, so she worked for the NSA um, when the Snowden incident happened. Like she worked for them and uh she said one day they left work and the next day they came back and all the cipernet computers were gone and for those of you who don't know in the government um it might no it's not private it's it's only government and contractors so government and affiliates you have cipernet which is secure interest protocol router network and it's basically a secret network separate separate from nippernet which is an unclassified version of the internet, but it's essentially a secret version of the internet only the government can access. And yeah. then you also have something called JWix, which is the top secret version of Cipernet. So you have tiers, basically. In each computer, you can only access these versions from computers that are enabled into the network. So whatever day it was, Snowden blew the lid off this thing. The next day, this lady came in, and she said all the computers to access the secret and top-secret Internet were just gone. Like, gone. Damn. They weren't even sure how they were supposed to do any work because you can't access what you need to access without those computers. And they were like, nope. No, we're shutting it all down, like massive leak. So they hit the panic button. If they hit the panic button, it's not because it was like some made up bullshit. It's because it was true. Edward Snowden would not be taking asylum in Russia right now if it was bullshit. True. Which is why, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people dislike what he did, but. I don't know, man. I'm kind of like pro Snowden. Like, I like, I like the idea of us knowing what they're doing because that is like the ultimate power 
you know, like we talk about gun control and all this, but when they can profile you through cyberspace and like they can create, and that's part of what this woman I talked to does. She does, she's created cyber profiles of people (laughs) just based on what you do on the internet. Yeah, man, it's almost like, it's a shame there aren't more leaks and shit because the stuff they're doing is just, it's some backdoor shit. Like, people need to know about it, but. Well, the thing I find interesting is like, have you ever heard the phrase, like, the best lawman is a former outlaw? Mm hmm. This woman told me that many of the people on her team, they have a term in the cyber security, you know, hacker world, for lack of a better term. Um, They have a white hat and a black hat. And if you've ever watched old Westerns, typically the good guy wears a white hat and the bad guy wears a black hat. And in the hacking world, it's the same way. Um, So what she does is considered quote-unquote, white hat, because it's for the government. But it's funny, because who really determines who's a white hat and a black hat? The people with the authority to throw your ass in a cage. That's the fucking answer. So, um, I don't know if she still works for the the same people, but uh, anyway, a lot of the people that were on her team were former black hats. Yeah, that's that's a very common thing in the, that the government does. It's I mean, like if you can't beat them, you know, you want them on your team, right? So you pay the pay them to to do good, and usually they're the more highly skilled. You know, they become less skilled over time because like unless you're doing the the shady shit, you're not really like getting any better. You're not good. Yeah. yeah. And see, I can't remember who said it, man. I wish I could. And I know someone's going to tell me, but somebody once told me or I heard somebody say, I can't remember, you can't buy an Afghan's loyalty, but you can rent it. Yeah. It's the same thing with hackers, man. Deep down, they're still black hats. Yep. Like deep down, the only reason they do that is because they prefer making $150,000 a year versus prison. and so when you have the authority to say hey we'll pay you a very very good salary if you don't do those things or if you do those same things but at the people we tell you to instead of us or your option is for doing those things against us we're going to throw your ass in a in a cage and you're going to rot yeah i mean a lot of them have been caught and instead of going to jail they get paid a nice salary and they just work for the other side yeah and it's it's crazy, man. Like, no different than a confidential informant, really. You know, striking a plea deal or something like that. But, yeah. you know, a lot of these people are, quote-unquote, reformed hackers. And it, it's just mind to me, at least. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, so one last thing I'll say is... Um, all these, you know, the misuse of personal data and all the breaches and stuff we've been talking about, like the the worst part of all of it is the the, the fact that the first response is to keep these breaches quiet 
to protect like the organizational image or protect you know shareholder value like if these things are happening all the time and we don't if we find out about them it's not for months and months after that the leak happens um but that's just like the the power of a dollar man like they're gonna do what they have to to protect that image and you know, it doesn't matter whether your personal data gets leaked or not like it's just it's crazy man there's no there's no oversight well i guess there's, there's oversight but there's no enforcement yeah and so something i've been wanting to do is change our email address too because obviously we get thousands of emails a week, but <laughs> not really. But moving forward, like I would like to move away from Google. I'd like to move away from Gmail. And there was something that I'm not going to let you get away from. Uh, you had some stats in your notes. I was, I was just going to hit that. And I wanted to respond to them. So go ahead. So I'll just go ahead and hit them all real quick. Um, this is all from the Pew Research Center. Uh, roughly six in ten Americans believe it's not possible to go through daily life without having their data collected. Um, it's about even between companies and government, 62 and 63 uh, percent. The most shocking thing to me was the question was a majority of Americans feel as if they have little control over data collected about them by companies and the government. The percentage of U.S. adults who say they're concerned over the government the, the, the potential risk of the government collecting data was 66%. The number of <laughs> Americans who had felt that the risk outweighed the benefit for companies was 81%. So people are more, are 20, how was that, 14, 15% more in favor of the government having your information than, or collecting data than companies. And that's fucking crazy. Man, more people need to work for the government for just six months. Six months would be enough to be like, wow, this is really not what I thought it was. It's fucked up. Yeah, it's not not that they shouldn't be concerned about companies having it because that's just as you know that's just as scary. But that's how that's how concerned people are that these you know the Alexa Home, Google Homes, all that shit, all your phone, your computer, your webcam, all that stuff listening to you, and that's that's. People see that more as the business side than the government side. Um, yeah, and the thing that got me was, so 36% said it was possible to go through an average day, daily life, without having their data collected. Yeah. Well, I would say 359 repeating of those 36 are wrong. Um, yeah, if you're going to do that, it is possible. Is it likely? No, I don't think it's likely at all. You're going to have to sacrifice a lot. You're going to have to live without a phone. You're going to have to live without Wi-Fi. You're going to have to not leave your house. You're going to have to be completely self-sufficient. And even then, if they want to know something, they're going to find it. Because even if you don't have a phone and you don't go where CCTV is and facial recognition, that's another thing. The government has been proven to use – they're not – facial recognition, man, that's old news. I'm mm -hmm. not sure if people know this. They're now doing recognition based on how you walk, your walking patterns. Like I can't tell you – 
there's been several people in my life, my wife, my mom, my grandma, my family, maybe even you, people recognize me by how I walk. Like they've, they've seen me in uniform in a group of, you know, a thousand people. And they'll be like, that's David. Like I know it is because of how he fucking walks. They're doing the same thing based on CCTV now and the cameras at various businesses and whatnot. So is it possible? Yeah. If you stay at home, don't have a phone, don't have internet, grow your own food, literally leave for no reason, then yeah, I guess it's possible when you have everyone drop their phone in the mailbox before they drive up to your house. Like, yeah, I guess it's possible, but realistically to get rid of your phone, man, like, I don't think that's, that's not practical in our line of work. It's definitely not. So the other other thing that threw me off with the stat was so, so 66% of Americans believe that the potential risk of the government collecting their data outweighs the benefits, but 78% say they have little to no understanding about what the government does with the data collected. So like, like that's, that is the problem right there. They, more people don't know what they do with the information, so they're not as worried about the risks. I can tell you exactly what they yeah. do with it. Whatever they want. Yeah. Whatever. And you can be an office joke. You can be uh, a, a low-key meme. They could get anything they want from you, and that's what they do. So... They are fucking watching you. Yep. They are absolutely. listening to us. They're listening to me. Actually, I don't know if they're listening to me, but not on here maybe, but on my phone, they're listening to me. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere they're listening to you. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I think that's about it. I, I know that if I send this episode to the, to the lady that I'm getting this information from, she's going to want to come on to the show. We've already talked about the problems that that would present, you know, in her line of work. She'll know better than I how to circumvent those, you know, whether it's voice, uh, like voice changing or whatnot. I mean, we may be able to get her on there or on here. Um, It would be awesome. There would be nothing better than, you know, the Joe Rogan and Snowden podcast. But besides <laughs> that, but as far as what we can do, that's probably as close as, or as, you know, close to that as we're going to get. So if there's interest, I know she'll have interest in coming on. It's just how to protect herself. So I don't know. I, I'm not going to say it'll happen, but we will certainly try if that's something you guys want. Um, but anyway, uh, as far as what we can cover, I think, uh, I think that might be it, man. Yeah, that's, that's all I had. Uh, pretty, pretty interesting, scary stuff when you start looking at it, but yeah, this, this episode started out as, um, kind of just a loose idea. And then the more research we did, the more like afraid we got it. Yeah. So. 
But anyway, uh, if that's all you got, man, that's all I got. Yep, sounds good. All right, guys, till next time. Take it easy, guys.